Okay, so we're finishing up this semester studying the Book of Wisdom. John, you have your homework again? And Wisdom. No, wisdom is the second of the two of the seven Deuterocanonical books that we're studying this semester. So Wisdom is also called the Wisdom of Solomon, one of the seven Deuterocanonical books. Right, the Deuterocanonical books are the books that are not in the Hebrew Bible or in the Protestant Old Testament. It's also sometimes called the Book of Wisdom, and that's from the Latin Vulgate translation, or sometimes it's called the Wisdom of Solomon, and that would be from the Septuagint, or just plain old wisdom, which is what we're using. So you'll see it under different titles. The author is unnamed in the book, but whoever is writing it wrote as if they were Solomon. They wrote in the person of Solomon. Now, the author doesn't use the name Solomon, but I think it's clearly he's presenting himself as Solomon. Is this the same book we would ever start before? No. This is a new book. We just finished Sirach. Now we're studying the Book of Wisdom. What was one before that? Sirach. Yeah, but before Sirach. Uh, uh, Ecclesiastes. 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 Or Doesn't that start off with uh, I'm the son of David? This was written by the son of David. Uh, yeah, traditionally uh, it was the Song of Song, Ecclesiastes, and Wisdom were written by Solomon. The tradition that he wrote. No, it's different stages of life. One of the clues here that he's presenting himself as Solomon is in chapter eight, uh, chapter nine, verse eight, where he says, "You," and he's referring to wisdom. You have, you have built. No, you referring to the. Uh, oh, yeah, it's yeah. God referring to the author, saying, "You, the author, have built me a temple in your holy mountain, an altar in the city." That is your dwelling place, and there's only one character that 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 would fulfill, and that was Solomon. He's the one that built the temple and built the uh, uh, and the altar. So Scott and so scholars will sometimes refer to the author as pseudo Solomon, and pseudo pseudo meaning like in the person of or in the appearance of Solomon. Uh, it was originally written in Greek, so it's not a translation, and probably in Alexandria. In Egypt, and this is probably one of the main reasons why it was not included in the Hebrew Bible because it, there was no versions of it that existed in Hebrew, so it didn't have the authority that the Jewish people were looking for when they when they decided to put it would be in their canon. Um, in the overall context of Jewish history, is one of the last books written. Sirach that we studied for the last two weeks was written. Uh, in like 200 years before Christ and then translated some 50, 60 years later. Uh, the Book of Wisdom was written around the same time. They think somewhere between your 150 and 50 B.C., but you'll have different... They really don't know, and you might even have some people think it was written even later. Um, Joe, is this what This you is from your supplementary reading, those dates. I'm sorry, is this what you said? It had no Jewish or Hebrew validity? Well, I, I'm th- because it was never... Because it, it was only, written in Greek. So the Hebrews, I mean, the Jewish people, when they decided their canon figure, well, it's not, you know, 
it's not Jewish enough. It's not proven. It's, right. It's not, it's not Jewish enough because they don't have it. It wasn't written in Hebrew. Uh, so wisdom again was written around the same time, uh, and this is the time of the Maccabean revolt. And the, some of the background to the Maccabean revolt is that it was in reaction to the the imposition of Hellenistic culture on the Jewish people. It's kind of was the impetus for the Maccabean revolt. Um, so, so the, the purpose, the purpose the commentators see. For the writing of this book is similar to the purpose for the book of Sirach in that it was written in part to counter the Hellenistic or Greek influences. And it did it by demonstrating the superiority of Jewish wisdom over Greek wisdom. And the way he did this was through something that we call enculturation. Uh, and the way the Catholic Study Bible describes it he uses, the author of wisdom uses the ideas, the language, and the literary style of the Greek culture to demonstrate the excellence of the Jewish faith. So you have these influences, and he's kind of turning it around, saying, well, let's use all their ideas, and even if we use our ideas, we'll still show that our faith is superior. Uh, another word that's similar to enculturation is, syn- is uh, syncretism. It's a little different meaning, but um, syncretism generally means, okay, whereas enculturation is to incorporate the surrounding culture into your belief system. Uh, syncretism is a word that's used to blend different belief systems. And this can, these things can be good or they can be bad. Uh, for example, in the Roman Catholic Church, we, when, when uh, the Mass is celebrated in the vernacular or the common language of the people, that would be enculturation. So if you go to uh, some foreign country and they say Mass in their language, those are incorporating their culture into our religion, but they're not changing the essence of our religion. Um, or you might have different. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of some people that have uh, gone to church services in Africa, where you get a whole different flavor because there's a lot more music and dancing and dress. It's all different. So that's an example of enculturation, where you're taking advantage of the local culture, but you're not changing the faith. You can do the same with syncretism. Again, as long as you don't, by blending beliefs, you're not like watering down your beliefs. That's always the danger. What's CSB? That's the Catholic Study Bible. That's oh, just okay. a reference for. Uh, uh, now changing the you know, Again, if you're looking for if you're looking for something a book to buy, it's good. Catholic Study Bible. Mm-hmm. It's very good. It has a lot of commentary in it. Okay. Uh, so one of the uh, one of the ideas, and this is this is really an important idea for this book. One of the ideas that wisdom, book of wisdom, incorporates from the Greek culture is the idea of an afterlife. We've kind of touched on it in some of these other books. You kind of get hints of it, but in this book, there's a clear indication of a belief in the afterlife. And the way commentators see it, that is one idea 
that they incorporated from the Greek culture because the Greek culture did have a belief in the afterlife and wisdom incorporates this belief and they use it to solve the problem of innocent suffering. That's what we've been dealing with in a lot of these. How do you, how do you, how do you understand innocent suffering? So this, this is the solution that this book comes up with. So just uh, looking back over some of the books that we've, fact, yeah, some of the books that we've studied uh, so far, and looking at them in the context of what we call traditional wisdom. Traditional wisdom is, you know, if you're good, you're going to get blessed. If you're bad, you're going to get cursed, and there's no exceptions. So Proverbs basically accepted traditional wisdom. It was clear that in that book, if you're good, you're blessed. If you're bad, you're cursed. Um, in the book of Job, that was questioned. He questioned that because he knew he was a good man, and yet it, apparently he was cursed. Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, pretty mm-hmm. much rejects it. It says everything's vanity. It's all the same because in the end you die. Whether you're blessed or cursed in this life, it doesn't matter. Right. With Sirach, we kind of came back to the idea of traditional wisdom. So clearly in Sirach, if you're good, you're blessed. If you're, if you're bad, you're cursed. So it kind of ignores these problems that... Uh, Job and Ecclesiastes brought up, it just kind of just ignores it without solving it. And wisdom also accepts traditional, the book of wisdom accepts traditional wisdom, again, where the, where the good will be blessed and the, the wicked cursed. And they, they solve the question of um, innocent suffering, but with the afterlife. So you're going to get with everything you deserve after death, because there is an afterlife. God's going to make it all right in the end. John. What was the time frame of uh, Job? Uh, did they have a time frame when Job was written? Considerable uh, difference in the philosophy there. It's final, and now that we're talking about the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to look. Post election. But it was. Post-exile, it was. I would say definitely post-exile. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But earlier than these. Right. I was thinking 300. Uh, yeah. I, um, I just don't remember. Okay. Okay. So the afterlife was incorporated because of the idea of suffering, and it was. No, it solved the problem of innocent suffering. Solved the problem, and right. it was incorporated in Jewish wisdom. Right. Okay. So. So, in the Book of Wisdom, there is an afterlife where the good will receive their blessings or justice, even if they were not blessed or were unjustly treated in this life. So, this concept of an afterlife, again, is from the Greeks' understanding of the immortality of the human soul. And this really is a major theological development in Israel's theology that you see here in the Book of Wisdom. So now looking looking at the looking at the book of wisdom uh, wisdom is generally divided into three main sections and these are the section titles from the New American Bible your handouts have an error on them your handouts have an error on them anybody find the error? Sarah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Where? 
This is correct. Your handout's incorrect. Right? Should say wisdom, not Sirach. Okay. I had them all printed out, and I wasn't going to reprint them. See, I presented with the error last, last with the last class, and nobody ever pointed it out. So I don't, I don't think they were paying attention. I wasn't paying attention, obviously. Okay, so the first section is um, reward of wisdom. I was looking for it. Yeah, well, it was a test. It's late. So the first section is titled the reward of wisdom, and the reward. I mean, one of the main rewards is immortality, right? Because now, and not only that, but since there is an afterlife, now a person can again now can now receive from God the blessings or the justice that maybe they didn't but should have received in this life. Right. Uh, so in the previous lectures that describe wisdom, it was always wisdom was leading to fullness of life in this life, and now in the Book of Wisdom that concept extends into the afterlife. The second section is called Praise of Wisdom, and it's an, it's an extended praise of wisdom by Pseudo-Solomon. And then the third section is called titled God's Providence, and it's a demonstration of how wisdom, and wisdom is a gift from God, was there to provide and care for Israel during the Exodus. So they like to give some practical examples to demonstrate the concepts. Uh, and I'm going to talk about somewhat about section one and section three a little bit. I'm not going to get into section two. Uh, So looking at section one, uh, look at this idea of immortality. So there is there is immortality or a life after death for the just or for the righteous. So the just person or the righteous person are those again who follow and obey wisdom. And I'm going to read to you from one chapter one verse twelve to fifteen. Hopefully you make that point. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 15. Do not court death by your erring way of life, nor draw to yourself destruction by the work of your hands, because God did not make death, nor does he rejoice in the destruction of the living. For he has fashioned all things that they might have being, and creatures of the world are wholesome. There is not a destructive drug among them, nor any domain of Hades on the earth. For righteousness is undying. So I think the key line there is righteousness is undying. So that's that's addresses to those that are just and righteous. Now, um, so there is. So that. So that addresses the idea of immortality for those who are righteous and, and, and just. Now, the other side of it, the fate, you know, what about those that are unjust and unrighteous? 
the fate of those people are, is a little less clear here. So you're not getting the concept of heaven or hell necessarily. You have an afterlife for those that are just, and they can be blessed in the afterlife. What happens to the unjust is not clear in this book. And I'm going to uh, read, read uh, chapter 1, verse 16. So it continues on after 15. Uh, verse 16 says, It was the wicked who with hands and words invited death and considered it a friend and pined for it and made a covenant with it because they deserve to be allied with it. So it almost sounds like if you're unjust, you're going to die anyway. You will not have the afterlife because you made a covenant with it. You're going to get what you deserve. So the theology is developing a little bit here, right? We're still not to the point where it's our belief system, but you can see some development in that direction. Okay. So, uh, so contrary, contrary to the prior wisdom literature, where at death the dead go to Sheol, right? and Sheol is the place where there is no relationship with God, and that was one of Job's complaints. He said one of the, one of the many things he said is that talking to God, no one can offer praise to God in Sheol. So what good am I to you, God, in Sheol? That was his concern. But this is no longer the case for the just, because for the just, their relationship now can continue in the afterlife. They do not go to Sheol. This also has implication for some of the curses that people experience in this life. Now curses can have positive meaning, and wisdom specifically addresses three things or think curses in this life, or three things that appear to be curses in this life. He discusses this idea of innocent suffering um, and the Book of Wisdom explains that that innocent suffering was a test and now those who had suffered innocently in this life are now with God and greatly blessed. So it was a test and you passed. And now you're with God and greatly blessed. The second one that they discuss is this curse of childlessness. And they make the point, I'm, I'm saying it very briefly, it goes on and on, and you'll get the full flavor when you flavor it when you read it. But basically, by remaining faithful, even though you you have this problem, even though you do not have children, but if you remain faithful, that really is more, even more important than having children because those who remain faithful, again, will be with God and will be greatly blessed. The third one is uh, the er- an early death. Wisdom explains that it is actually, an early death is actually a sign of God's love. The innocent person is perfected early in their life and death is their rescue from the wickedness of this life. And I think we just had that reading, didn't we? Because I think on the Feast of All Souls, and, and you've probably heard some of these readings. You'll, when you read it, they'll sound familiar to you because these are the kind of readings that typically you'll hear at funerals. Mm-hmm. Okay. <coughs> this was one of the readings at my dad's funeral, chapter 3. Yeah, versus the first uh, part of it. Yeah, I think we read again. I think we read that on Sunday. Or yeah, I know it was recently. Feast of All I Souls. Just don't remember what day it was. Yeah. 
Um, now I want to talk about uh, the third section a little bit. It begins, it begins with the statement of its theme in chapter 11, verse 5, which says, For the things to which their foes were punished, they in their need were benefited. So the, the whole idea here is, is going to give you examples from the Exodus. So the things through which their foes were punished, in this case, in the Exodus, the foe was Egypt, right? were punished, they, the Israelites, in their need were benefited. So that's the theme. And then he fills that with a lot of detail. So the things that God used to punish the Egyptians were used by God to bless the Israelites. So the Israel benefits from the very things that punished Egypt. So the plagues, and these, of course, their punishments were the plagues, that eventually led to Israel's freedom. And wisdom gives five examples from Exodus that demonstrates this. And you know all these. God turned... What, what, you know all these facts. What's interesting here is how uh, the wisdom writer pulls them together and makes parallel examples out of them. So God turns the water of the Nile into blood to punish the Egyptians. But God provided water for the Israelites to drink as they journeyed to the desert. God sent swarms of frogs and insects to punish Egypt. But God sends quail for Israel for food in the desert. God sent rain and hail and fire down on the Egyptians from heaven. But God provided manna from heaven to feed the Israelites in the desert. God sent continuous darkness over Egypt so that they could not see, but God gave the Israelites the pillar of fire so they could see during their journey through the desert. And finally, God sent the angel of death to all the Egyptian firstborn, and as a result, Egypt finally, I mean, Israel finally escaped from Egypt to a new life and freedom. And I'm going to finish up by pointing out some of the uh, Hellenistic and Greek influence in, in the Book of Wisdom. Uh, one of those we already talked about in some detail, and that's the idea of immortality. So although the body dies, the soul lives on forever. Uh, and part of that, or con- consistent with that, is the Greek understanding of uh, the body and soul, where the body and soul are two entities that coexist within the, within the earthly person, and they for this is dualism. So, in the Greek concept is where body and soul, and they're separate. The soul lives on forever. In the Greek concept, there's no concept of the resurrection of the dead. That's something that developed later. But for the Greeks, the soul would live on forever. So you see that picked up here. There's nothing about the resurrection of the body in the Book of Wisdom. So you have this idea of dualism. Uh, the four cardinal virtues, which are listed in chapter 8, verse 7, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, that comes out of Greek philosophy. This is this is the only place that these are listed together in the Old Testament. I mean, the concepts are floating through there, but this is a reflection of the, of the Greek philosophy. And then the Greek attitude, the Greek attitude toward wisdom is presented uh, in much more philosophical terms. 
versus the traditional Jewish concepts of wisdom as something practical and concrete. So for Israel, we've heard it over and over again, fear of the Lord is associated with wisdom, and fear of the Lord, I will say, pretty much boils down to obedience. So it's something you do. Uh, Whereas the Greek understanding of wisdom is, is more philosophical, so some of the terms that are used to describe wisdom are things like spirit and light. And you, st- you start to see that in John also. And there's some great examples of that that understanding, that Greek understanding of wisdom that makes it in, makes it into the book of wisdom in chapter seven, verses twenty-two to thirty. So that's the that's the lecture, and I'll end where I've always ended here. I mean, we know that the the true wisdom and power of God right here to do something for us. So we're getting close to that, but we're not there yet. Okay? Next week, uh, last week, and I'll do the wrap-up lecture. And then we're off until January. Okay? No offense, Joe. All right. Don't need a break. We're going to going on, we're going off to Colorado for this Yay, Good for you. For how long? Uh, we're leaving the twentieth and coming back after Thanksgiving. So it's almost oh, two weeks. So Thanksgiving. Yeah, to over the Anything special? Thanks, thanks, just Thanksgiving. Thanks well, the, the grandkids. Oh, okay. That's special. Okay. I'll get lots of hugs. Good. Just pray for it. Okay. All right. Let's say in our Father, in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our Father, born in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.